Welcome to the second episode of the second season of the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. As always, I'm Daniel Burkholder, the host and a dancer based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In this episode, I, I'm talking with Cass Tunick. She and I have known each other since I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area right around 2000. We haven't really stayed in touch, so this was a wonderful opportunity to reconnect and find out what she's been up to. Here's a bit more about Cass. She is a performer, writer, and teacher. Her physical theater works have played on stages across the U.S. and Germany, France, the Netherlands, and Estonia. Originally trained in ballet, judo, gymnastics, and modern dance technique, she began intense study in improvisation with Ruth Zipporah in 1990. She is a senior teacher of Ruth Zipporah's Action Theater, a comprehensive physical theater practice and training which draws its content, movement, vocalization, and speech directly from the body into an embodied present. She is the co-founder of the company Second Nature, while other theatrical collaborators include Inkboat, Reflex Ensemble, Lake Ivan Productions, and Abby Bender. In 2015, she edited Ruth Zipporah's Improvisation on the Edge, Notes from On and Off the Stage. An ongoing fascination with the nature of being continues within the daily body as a vehicle for the mind and imagination to express itself visibly. As always, you can check out the description of this podcast for information about how to find out more about Cass, myself, and the podcast. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Cass. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cass, and thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Thanks, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Yes, I'm really excited to have you on this. It's been um, it's been a couple years since we've seen each other. Many, many. <laughs> many, many years, yes. <laughs> um, coming on probably almost 20, actually, if that's mm -hmm. amazing to think about. Um, I moved I moved away from the San Francisco area in 2000. So, um, and I think I moved away from there in 2004, okay. 2005. Yeah. yeah. To and, New York. And you're in New York now. I'm in Boston oh, now okay. and I've been here, uh, for about three years teaching at Emerson college. Oh, okay. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, you know, I kind of just want to kind of jump into, um, into talking about improvisation a little bit. And so, could you kind of describe kind of your current improvisational practice, how it manifests itself? Sure. I, I have been studying action theater for about 30 years with Ruth Sapora and also practice this, my main practice. And I also teach action theater and the practice in, in my, in my realm of conception of it, currently is it's a it's a practice of awareness and physical imagination mm. it's very body-based the content of the improvisation is drawn from from the physical from the sensate from what gets brought to us through bones flesh blood memory and and gets transmitted through movement sound and language so those those three channels are all in operation and for the Last uh, few years, I had a company called Second Nature um, with Heather Harpham and Danny Tunick, and we did shows that were fully improvised, hour-long shows, just fully improvised. Uh, the two two of us, Heather and I, body, sound, and language, and Danny on instrumentals, um, improvising the music with us. So the whole thing was improvised in the moment, and so that's that's kind of my practice is is improvising 
fully in that way. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, whenever I can. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's great. So let's, uh, maybe we can delve into a little bit about, um, the work, your work with second nature. And, um, so when you say fully improvised, um, I'm assuming you, you mean there was very minimal amount of material or, or frameworks predetermined. Correct. We don't, we don't start with theme. We don't start with any content. The content is really built on the first gesture or word or sound that emerges. And then we, we start to play with that. Mm -hmm. And our imagination comes to the fore and starts to dance with that, with whatever the, the physical display and the, the action that comes onto the stage with us. So nothing is predetermined. We don't have, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this little thing, or we have this little structure the structure has really fallen away at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very in, internalized, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the name of the the other performers? Um, Heather Harpum, who has been my friend since we were ten years old, and <laughs> <laughs> my husband Danny Tunick. Cool. And so. Um, so the, that starting with that first gesture and then seeing where it leads, um, and I'm going to kind of even like zoom back a little bit before we kind of delve into that. Um, the things you do know when you go to performance, you do know the location where you're performing, mm-hmm. and do you have a sense of how like how long? Usually, the time is the really structured thing. Okay. It's an it's about an hour. We're going for about an hour, or we're going for an hour and fifteen, or we're going for an hour and a half. Um, that's set. The space is set. So of course the space and the architecture have, have an impact on us. Right. Uh, and you know, and we come in with a lot of practice. So the yeah. things that we've been practicing are musicality and phrasing and hearing how and multi-layering of rhythms, the rhythms of the body, the rhythms of the speech, the rhythms of the sound. And we're, we're really composing on our feet throughout the whole thing, knowing where we've been and moving into what is unknown and starts to be revealed by our interaction with it. Um, and images, if Im- when images start to come up, then those become part of the players on the stage and we're just continuously honoring and exploding them. Could, could you talk a little bit more what you mean about images? So if I, if I come up with, if some, part of my physicality makes me have an image of a, um, I don't know, a, 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 a horse. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, uh, sinking through some oceanic water, then that becomes an image in the piece. Then that, that has content that has, that becomes something that we, that is always there on the stage and, and, part of what we're playing with so everything that gets spoken everything that gets moved becomes part of the weave of the improvisation i see and that and by keeping that that image present that could be through physicality that could be through kind of describing or telling a story about that image Um, it could lead to a narrative um the and the i guess the overarching quality of these improvisations sort of in the um, in the in in the lineage of theatricality, it's very dreamlike. The 
the performances that we find ourselves in, there's a nonlinear quality to them uh-huh. that allows for a certain collage-ness. It doesn't mean they're just <clears throat> random and abstract, but the the narratives and the images start to weave together in a more dreamlike way. And we can stay with something and abruptly shift into some completely other realm and then come back to where we were. Yeah. So things get knit together in a in a different way than a linear narrative unfolds yeah 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 no that that makes total sense and um so curious like you you talked about um that you know walking into these situations with no predetermined content and really no structure other than some kind of time constraint um but that it is that this practice is resting on um lots of experience and training and um, performance um, from the past. So you're, when you're stepping in, yeah. you're not stepping in with nothing. You're stepping in with all of your history present. And exactly. All those skills yeah. and experiences that you had. So maybe this would be a good time to talk a little bit more uh, about action theater. And, and maybe start with action theater and then also we could kind of what other influences might be there. But since action theater is such a seems to be your core practice uh, and people might not be familiar with what that is. Sure, sure. So action theater was developed by Ruth Sapora and she it came out she had a dance modern dance background and at some point really wanted to be speaking. So she started investigating how language and sound are really other forms of movement also, and approaching them through a movement and body lens. And her uh, her practice really weaves all of those together. And, um, sorry, I just lost my, tra- lost okay. my train of thought. Uh, so I started studying with her really early in my early 20s and was also came from a dance background and wanted to be able to speak. So I, I, in my study of action theater, I had some detours. I really wanted to get more intimate with language. So I went to Naropa, the Naropa Institute to study poetics, Mm -hmm. writing poetics, because I wanted to have a sort of a pure direct relationship with language that was more intimate and that I felt like I could bring onto the stage. So that, that, that detour also brought me into more um, intimacy with Buddhist thought and Eastern thought, which action theater has very much at its heart. It's mm. really an awareness practice and a present moment, moment to moment awareness practice that is also very like birth death practice. <laughs> One moment's dying, the next moment's being born. You have to not attach to those things, but love them fully in their ephemerality. So those two practices really went hand in hand for me, how to practice this kind of present moment awareness on stage in a theatrical, in a theatrical way. Yeah. Um, I, I also, I, I come from, my background is like all kinds of movement. I rode horses, I did gymnastics, I did judo, I uh, studied buto. <laughs> those are those are big influences for me. And currently, I've just totally fallen in love with Aikido. Oh, and I feel like that practice, the flow, how you track flow and contact improvisation also. So all these practices right. for me come into supplement how one follows flow in 
in the body in, and in the imagination and as a conversation with the universe, with the larger material that's floating out there. So this conversation doesn't really have the boundary of the skin. It moves in other ways, other energies. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really fascinated with. Mm. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, lately, uh, for the last about year, I have been um, a pretty regular rock climber. Mm, and mm -hmm. that has come in to be kind of like one of my practices and uh, mostly at a at a gym here, um, mm -hmm. but it's some, some outside, not as much as I would like, but it's a little far away. Um, but just the being on the wall and finding that with each move, then you've got to figure out the next move. And mm -hmm. um, there's an in intense physicality to it, obviously. But yeah. then there's also like, how do I find this? this internal connection and flow up the side of this wall while having to be really um, also very physically engaged. Yes, yes. And it makes you trust the body when yeah. you have that kind of risk, right? You're really nailed to the spot. I yeah. mean, in your, in your rock climb, you're nailed to that wall in that moment and you can't jump ahead and anticipate. You really have to read the signs of where you are and what you're, what is possible from this point of where you are currently yeah um so it's very very physicalized mm -hmm. in that and this i imagine the seduction of that is also has the seduction of improvisation is it can be very nerve-wracking there's a lot on the line yeah yeah there's there's moments where you look up at that wall and you're like oh my gosh that is gonna be hard yeah you yeah. know that or is you just look down the, yeah or you look down and you're like oh my gosh that's <laughs> That's, I, I've got to do this reach and I'm probably right. going to fall. I'm probably <laughs> going to fall. Yeah, um, yeah. So how not to panic in those moments is part of that practice. How do you stay easy and released and accepting of the situation and not also jump into panic or jump into a false notion of success? But you're in, you're always in transition. Yeah, and also just that idea of that, you know, uh, stay with the rock climbing for a second, but when you yeah. reach and you you try to make that shift and you you slip or fall or your hands give out because they're just too exhausted and you mm -hmm. fall, that is not a um, a moment of failure. Right, right. So just a, another possibility that can happen in yeah. that moment, and it's it's one of the options and you can go back then and you know within rock climbing because they're often set you can try that again and you can try it again and you can try and you find find another yeah. way of going through it and there's always uh, or you watch someone else do it and they have a completely different approach to that moment right um, right you know i so, love that that's a beautiful image of fall that falling is a another option right yeah. and there's so there's and then there's the way we conceive of falling. Is it falling into despair or falling into love? Like falling right. in love. Like there's many ways to fall. So falling is just another act of falling. Right, right. It's not, there's no, there's no inherent kind of value in falling as a good or not good thing. Right. And yeah. I mean, that also really thinks about um, when you're improvising and you're up there on stage and there's something happens that, is unexpected or seems to you kind of out of the blue, whether something that comes from you and you like, mm -hmm. or from, from the people who you're performing with and you have to figure out a way to 
um, deal with it uh, right. in, in a way. And, and it, of course, it's always an opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the zone you want to be in, is the unknown zone, the right. being surprised. If you ever, Ruth says this all the time in classes, if you ever know where you are, you're in trouble. You want to be in an unknown territory and discovering it. So if you ever think you know what's going on, you need to fall a little farther yeah, yeah. <laughs> into into the unexpected, into something you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm curious, like within the practice, say, um, of action theater, how do you practice getting to that place? Partly it's exercising our tolerance for the unknown. Mm. I mean, that's a real cultural, uh, constraint. The culture tells us we need to know where we are all the time mm-hmm. and we, we should know more and, and more about where we are, even if we don't. And if, we don't know we should pretend that we do. (laughs) So this practice really exposes that you don't know. It embraces that. And that's a, that's a real mind practice as well as a physical practice to, to not, again, as you said, have a value thing around not knowing, which is often shame or feeling stupid or that not knowing somehow is, is a problem. And, um, uh, there's a quote by Maladomo Somme that I just love, and it's talking about uh, the supernatural and mystery. From the, it's a word from the Dagara tribe. That, uh, and I think the word is Yael Banguro. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh-huh. um, it, it's not translatable into English. But the closest, the closest translation of that mystery or, or supernatural magic, what we would call magic, that that moment of magic we're looking for is that which your knowledge cannot eat. <laughs> so all that you know doesn't eat this mystery, this mystery zone that is not about knowing, it's about experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it's about being right up in that mystery of not knowing, but but being there, feeling it, being alive in it. So... I love that notion. Yeah, that's that's lovely. It reminds me, actually, last fall I did a um, an online kind of meditation workshop with um, Reggie mm. Ray. Oh, he's wonderful. He he, he was he taught at Nova for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and you know, there's lots of wonderful things about. It. There's lots of challenging things doing meditation through an online workshop situation. <laughs> um, but, but he was, his teachings were amazing. And one of the things, I don't know if this was in one of the lectures or in one of the writing things he talked about is that, you know, we have this bodily experience mm-hmm. and then our conscious mind tries to categorize it as quickly as possible. Right. So mm-hmm. you have this experience and right away you're, um, you know, oh, that's, I'm falling now, or I'm, I'm mm-hmm. upset about that, or that's a good thing or a bad thing, or um, whatever the situation is, or the thing that happens, you're immediately trying to slot it into a category so that you know what it is. Exactly. Labeling. I, I figuring often, it out. Mm-hmm. As, as you've been saying, is like, to go into that improvisational place is to stay in that, try to practice staying in that place of not categorizing things for as long as possible. Yes. 
and mm-hmm. and just take them in and maybe respond to them, but not trying to va- value them or judge them or say they are this or that, and just kind of trying to have that more um, visceral kind of relationship yes. with those things. Yes, the immediate phenomenon of what's happening rather than any comment on it or opinion. Right, right. It's in, in this practice, we sort of say that it's cluttering up the airwaves, mm-hmm. <laughs> any opinion. It gets, it's contaminating the, just the pure vibration of the space of yeah. what, what action and does in space. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. clutter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that's, that's right. we we operate in a lot of clutter in our yeah. daily in our daily world. So that's another part of the practice is how to blur that line between stage and daily life mm-hmm. because we're all imp- we're all fabulous improvisers. We're improvising right. our days all the time. You don't know what's going to happen today. Right. We're constantly navigating it, discovering it. So for me that's also part of the practice how to have more of that flow magical zone in my in my consciousness even as i go through my pedestrian mundane <laughs> situation so yeah. they get lit up somehow with a different kind of illumination that i bring i i'm more practiced at bringing into the studio and the theater so how can i translate that right across yeah you know when a, when a, i used to live in washington dc and I was on public transportation a lot, and so I would be walking through the city, and there were times where I'd, I would say to myself, okay, for this next block, I'm going to improvise walking down the street or walking down the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. and Or sometimes I would say, I'm going to perform walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't do anything different. Like, no one on the outside could mm-hmm. see a difference, probably, unless they were watching really closely. But mm-hmm. there was a... As, like when I turned on those those receptors, like the experience became very different. Yes, I was yeah. much more aware of the other people because they also they were my fellow performers, right? <laughs> right, they right. didn't know it's it, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but <laughs> we were doing this thing, and um, I became much more aware of space and kind of mm. qualities, and it was a really interesting shift. I don't know how much I could maintain that, but. But there is this difference of of that aliveness um, and awareness that you feel when you're practicing or performing that certainly at times you you forget to hold on to when you're going through your everyday life. Right, right. That thing that you're saying, we think we know, we think we know. So this thing of getting lost, I was just reading... Uh, I just read the first pa- chapter of Rebecca Solnit's A Field Guide for Getting Lost. Uh-huh. And it's such a, a, a beautiful little practice for improvisation of how to be lost where even in your neighborhood. Mm. If you just change that perspective, like you're saying, suddenly you change the frame and you think of it as a performance. Think of it as a different map. You're in a different city. You actually don't know where you are. It does a, a similar thing of you have to pay more attention. Suddenly oh, what if this, what if I, what if I'm in Italy right now? Right. <laughs> and I don't know these streets. How do I, see, how do I see them through that lens? These little tricks we can do with our mind to switch our, per, our perception frame so that we wake up a little more. Mm-hmm. Mm. Someone, I, I remember reading something once that someone said, um, if you, if you want to get lost 
and mm-hmm. and and be perfectly safe 100 percent of the time is to go to, to go to japan <laughs> really they don't have a lot of english signs mm-hmm. so you can go places and you'll get totally lost Mm-hmm. And and truly not know how to get back to where you need to be, and and yet there's never a moment where you you're going to worry about you know like am right. I safe or or what have you, um, right? So I think I think John Muir said somebody asked him if he ever got lost in the wilderness. He said I've never been lost in the wilderness. I've been confused for about three days at a time, <laughs> but I was never lost. Right. <laughs> Cause there's, you're always there. There yeah, you are. Right. That's right. <laughs> right where you are. Yeah, I know where I am. I know <laughs> exactly. where I am. Um, so I, I want to kind of keep kind of circling around this. Cause I think this is really interesting. This idea of getting lost or um, this kind of like um, exercising the unknown. And mm-hmm. um, you've kind of, talked a little bit about it like in terms of action theater and and your practice a little bit but as a teacher how do you bring that into the classroom with your students and kind of foster it and challenge them but also kind of keep them safe enough to to be willing to go into that place with you um part of the invitation is i have to be willing to go there so Mm -hmm. i demonstrate a lot. I'm on the floor with them. I, 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 I play also inside of there, um, hopefully to the edge of my capacity. Uh (laughs) Um, and some part of an invitation is just that it's explicit that if you ask for something really explicitly, people are pretty willing to go there Mm. (laughs) really explicitly. Like this is the, this is the deal. Here's what we're, here's what we're, here's what we're doing. I'm always amazed at how quickly they embrace the request. Uh. So, and, and part of that I feel is a skill. It, there's a, there's a directness to that request that I haven't always found in, in my socialization that I've in you know, sort of an indirectness of a fear of being direct, which is what I really love about the East coast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that about action theater. Um, the request is explicit. We're we're stepping into an unknown zone. This is probably going to feel really uncomfortable, and that's that's perfect. Yeah. That's great. There's no wrong or right way to do this. Specifically, there's no wrong way. We have a um, mantra, sort of an action. Um, I suppose you'd call it a mantra in action theater that everything your partner does is perfect. And by extension, everything you do is perfect. Mm. So you're not worried about fulfilling a form, but you're worried about, you're, and you're hopefully not worried. <laughs> you're, right. you're fascinated with finding more sensation and more experience for yourself, more, more richness in an experience. So that's often a seductive invitation, how to feel alive more fully. Yeah. So... Um, so that's that's one thing. The other the other is that what I find really lovely about what Ruth has distilled for the action theater practices, they're very specific. They're very sparse, they're very spare, they're very simple. Yeah. Here now, we're just we are going to look at rhythm. One of you is going to <laughs> tap out a rhythm, others you're going to repeat it. The next time you do it, you're going to add on a different phrase. It's very um, broken down in doable tasks that uh-huh. open your ears and open your 
your physical senses. And so then it's by the layering and by practice that the complexity becomes more attainable, more achievable, not as overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your question? <laughs> well, you're answering it really well. <laughs> uh, oh, how do I how do I bring that into the classroom? Yeah. It was, uh, so I try to combine the a sense of a sense of very practical practical task with an invitation into the I don't know the I don't want to say mystical because it's not it's not spiritual it's not but but a, a vastness of human experience that mm-hmm. that vastness is not just boundaried by the moment you were born and the moment you die you're part of a a vast system a universal system that your DNA has traveled back through millennia. We have the same molecules. We share molecules with the water and the air. So this blurring this boundary between between things so we understand ourselves as a component of nature, mm-hmm. as a reflection of that. So that can help to feel more connected and feel the communicative the communicative power of of movement. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not just body to body, it's, who knows, maybe it's starlight to body to, you know, dirt to right. earth to animal to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, could you um, talk a little bit about collaboration, maybe? This may be a little side tangent yeah. or what have you, but um, just thinking about, you know, I mean, in the act of being on stage with an open improv with other people, that is like the height of collaboration, but also even just deciding to go on to stage with other people is a choice in collaboration. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. The, I, and maybe the, what we've been talking about, about getting lost, how to get lost is a little key in, in there for me about who I choose to collaborate with. I, I have some performance partners and collaborators that that are very versed in the action theater vocabulary and the action theater practice. Yeah. But a lot of the time I've chosen to collaborate with artists who come from different medium, mm-hmm. who are m- musicians, classical musicians. I've worked a lot with Karen Rosenbaum. She has something called the Reflex Ensemble, and now we're v- very... Uh, connected in working on her project, the Active Listening Playground, which is, she calls it Composing Community, and she's been going to refugee communities in Morocco and Rwanda and Lesbos and bringing, it's kind of a marriage of classical (laughs) classical music and action theater, how to to connect, how to connect communities together. And um, she's just, she's an amazing, amazing artist and innovator. And I've collaborated with people because I can, I learn from them. I get lost. I, it's that thing you're talking about. You're, you're in somewhere, you know, but you just change the frame a little bit. So I can see, I can f- see the improvisation through a different perspective. Yeah. I can start to learn how someone else perceives the improvisatory path. Uh, another collaborator, Shinichi Momokoga, who, uh, sorry, Shinichi Iovakoga, who really came from Buto world. And mm-hmm. so we collabor- have collaborated for years and years and years and years and um, 
really looking at what are the essence of the essences of these two practices. And now he's an action theater teacher also. Uh, most recently, I collaborated with Abby Bender, and she, you know, came from modern dance world, and we wanted to make a, a set piece together. So we. Uh, I thought we were going to, you know, improvise and come up with material. And she's like, I, <laughs> that's not how, that's not my way in. She had a whole other way in. So I, hmm. I learned how to make set work through her completely different lens. And it was such an amazing, such an amazing experience. So I, I love collaboration because it does that thing to me. It puts me in a different country. It, yeah. it reorders my that my my way through the improvisation is not the only way right. and it's one way but it's it lives in dialogue with this other way and that's that's when i feel like oh i'm 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 making something i'm creating something new even new to me yeah yeah that's 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 a that's a lovely way of of talking about it is that you know, I've I found similar thing is like when you step into a collaboration, um, when there is a generosity between all the people engaged in the collaboration and a recognition that all of us need to step into slightly unknown territory with each other, that it, it creates opportunities to, to see the work from perspectives that you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah you know, and, and that can be really challenging for some people, um, because they have their perspective and, the, and that perspective has been successful for them and that they just want to stay there. Right. Exactly. You know? It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a safety, safety zone. So how to, right. again, go out of the safety zone so that you don't know how this is going to turn out Yeah. and you don't even know how you're going <laughs> to, you're going to get to the whatever end point, if there is an end point. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when the audience shows up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think that so that it's helpful that in the collaboration, everyone does have a both people do have a enough of a sense of the improvisation to welcome that. Yeah. And not be thrown out of their seat mm -hmm. by that by that potential, the nerve wracking potential of that. Right. Yeah. 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 That sounds right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, and I just really appreciate you do taking the time to to, to chat with me today. It was really fascinating. Um, I can't. I like. I want to like stop this and go back and listen to it right away. Um, <laughs> Daniel, it's such a pleasure. I I hope we have more conversations. <laughs> I would. Yeah, I would love to. And um, you know, when we were kind of in the same circles in in San Francisco, um, we were definitely colleagues. You know, we weren't close by any means, but I always um, thought that's someone I should know better. And um, 20 years later, this conversation is like, yes, this is someone I should know better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, here we are. Let's keep, let's keep moving that deeper. So that, yeah. sounds, that sounds like a good plan. All right. Well, you have a great day. All right. You and, too. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cass. Again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Cass out in the world and on the web, as well as a bit about me and the Act React podcast. 
Next episode, I'll be talking to Ed Sereth, a jazz musician who is on faculty at University of Michigan and directs the Jazz Improvisation and Contemplative Studies program. We talk about the difference between jazz and free improvisation, the use of meditation in an improvisational practice, integral theory, and how social justice can fit into improvisational studies, among many other things. Now, one thing before I go, um, I'm, of course, very deeply interested in how improvisation affects and informs our artistic practices, but I'm also interested in how improvisation can affect and inform our daily lives. So if you have any thoughts or experiences, um, I'd love for you to share them with me. Um, you can go to Twitter. Uh, my ID is at act react podcast with no spaces or backslashes just um let me know your thoughts um i i look forward to hearing them all right thanks so much and until next time